Welcome to our weekly, or you mean weekly Wednesday night shiur. Um, shout out this week's shiur. None of your olive ear yardsight. This is Yitzchak Shalom Ben Nachman Parents should have a long to And of course, any given birthdays or anything which on a better note and a higher note, I'd definitely be more interested in making that as a shout out, especially to the birthdays in Seagate. Next week's Shemyatshem will be given from Geneva, Switzerland. Tune in 9 o'clock, New York time. And the Yemetshem will be able to hear the Shir on Skype. Oh, you missed that line. Next week, Yemetshem, the Shir will be given from Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, you can tune in, 9 o'clock, regular time. The Shir will be on Skype, and the Shir will be downloaded after the Shir, like regular, every single week. I'll just be sitting somewhere else. Um, we have Mia Shimon Upshan, grandson, and therefore only proper that we go out to see and to be with him and to be with my daughter, Rachachana, and my son in law, Pesach, and their children. And we're going to have, Baruch Hashem, the honor of also the attendance of. Our daughter and son-in-law from Manchester, England, will also be joining us in Switzerland for the occasion. This week is Shabbos Pashas Emoir. It's in the middle of the month. The middle of the month. I don't have any particular significance for the date of the month. This week is Perik Shlishi Pirkei Ovois. And of course, those are keeping up. We are learning now Musech Tseita, Daf by Daf, every day. If you already Daf Mairev, you counted the Emer, which is tonight, was counted 26. So we are holding Daf Chavov in Musech Tseita. And as we do throughout the weeks of Svira, we will add Miat Shem aside for the Pashas Emer. We'll also add something on the Pikeyavis of the week and something about Sechta New York, Chutz Excuse me. New York and everywhere else that's considered Chutz This Shabbos is Pashas Emer. Atseinu Akdesha, Achinu Bnei Yisrael are reading Pashas Bahar. We will not discuss Bahar. We will discuss Bahar in next week. Pasha's Emer is action-packed. Full, full, full of mitzvahs. And most importantly, and most beautifully and eloquently, is the mention of the Yom Tevim. Hashem <laughs> These are the Yom Tevim, these are the holidays. And the first of the holidays mentioned, Sheishas Yomim Teyosem Elocha. This is not a Yom Tev, this is Shabbos Kedish we're talking about. We begin discussing Mayade Hashem with the mention of Shabbos Kedish. The Tater then goes on to enumerate different Yom Tevim. Excuse me, we're going to discuss a discrepancy between the Tater and the Rambam. The Rambam does not mention the same order that the Tater is mentioning it. However, the fact that Shabbos is mentioned first in the beginning of the Yom Tevim, and it introduced, the Torah says, these are the Yom Tevim, and the first thing it says, Shabbos. The first Shem, right? 
The Shabbos is mentioned within the Yom Tevim because Shabbos is a Yom Tev. Shabbos is also considered a Mayyid. Since you're not allowed to do any work. If you are a camper as a child, you merited to know to learn the song of Big Gidal Yagumba. And on Big Gidal Yagumba he says once and over and over in each story he tells about how Shabbos he won't work because it's Shabbos Kaidish, it's a day of rest. And the fact that we don't work on Shabbos is a, is a beautiful yomtiv. There are a lot of malachas on Shabbos. 39 different malachas we're not allowed to do. From there there are tildes. These are called Avis malachas. From there there are tildes of these malachas. Now it's very, very interesting to know, for example, turning on a light. Since the malachas are basically based on what took place in the Holy Temple, and we know they didn't have lights then. So then what is this? How does this work? It's a derivative of a mitzvah. It's a derivative of a different one of the Lamates Malachas. And therefore we derive we cannot turn on a light. And the same thing with starting your car. With turning on, lighting a fire obviously is the same as mentioned. Carrying on Shabbos. For all those who don't have an Erev. Or for all those who don't hold from an Erev. I've told the story before, but since today we unfortunately in Crown Heights are being subjected to the controversy of Erev, I think it's <laughs> necessary to repeat the story. Yeah, in Crown Heights there are those people that want to make an Erev. So they heard that the new guy, the guy running for president is Donald Trump. Hmm. And Donald Trump wants to keep out the immigrants so a way of keeping out the immigrants, he says, by building a wall. He's going to build a wall around the, between us and Mexico. And that'll keep out the immigrants. So they said they'll get Donald Trump here to Crown Heights to build a wall around Crown Heights and we'll have an Arab. Not sure if we'll have an Arab or we'll become a ghetto, but either way, it'll be good. There were two there was a Chavrusa, two people that used to sit and study Gemara every day. For 30 years they were Chavrusa. And then one of them says to the other, you know, we're learning since before I got married, before we got married even, and I, Baruch Hashem, I was married for so many years, and I merited to have children, Baruch Hashem. But my first few children were girls. Now, finally, my boy, my son, is getting by mitzvah this Shabbos. I know you don't daven in our shul, Maybe you come join us this Shabbos for the Bar Mitzvah. Well, the Chavrusa becomes all flustered. And he answers something that shocked the man to death. He says, I'll tell you the truth, I'm not Jewish. He says, are you crazy? Are you Meshiggah, you're not Jewish? We sit and learn Gemara every day for 30 years, you're not Jewish? Why would you do this? He says, I find it very stimulating. I find Gemara, the Chachma, is Pashat stimulating. I learned how to read Hebrew. And it, it just it keeps my mind going. It's amazing. Wow. He says, but wait a minute. I see you walk out on Shabbos all dressed up in your Shabbos best. Your hat and everything. And you go to Shul. Don't you know that a guy we learned in the Gemara, a guy who keeps Shabbos is Chayat Misa. A guy who keeps Shabbos, an Andrew who keeps, who keeps the whole Shabbos, is punishable by, punishable by death. <laughs> so he says to him, I, of course I know that. I don't keep Shabbos. I break Shabbos every week. How do you break Shabbos? I put a key in my pocket and I carry. He says, but we have an Erev. He says, no, I don't hold from the Erev. So therefore, <laughs> he felt carrying his Chil Shabbos, because he doesn't hold from the Erev. Um, the Erev, the carrying, all the dinim that are involved, they're so, so involved, and so difficult almost, 
but yet so, so beautiful. There is nothing like Shabbos. If you keep Shabbos fully, there is nothing like it. You are totally separated from the world. You are on your own. It is you and your Creator. They have that's also a song. Time to say good Shabbos. And it's you and your Creator. And it's an amazing, amazing feeling. But yet, it's a difficult thing. A person that's not religious, not a religious practicing Jew and doesn't practice everything else, Shabbos is not necessarily foreign to him, but it's extremely difficult. I, mean, I can't travel, I can't drive my car, I can't go out, I can't go to work, I can't, it's, it's you know, a little difficult. It's very, very restricting. The Nach we find out, you can't even answer your phone on Shabbos. You can't even make a phone call on Shabbos. We don't do anything electrical on Shabbos. Unfortunately, every generation is given certain trials and tribulations. It's been brought to my attention. I never saw it, Chas But it's been brought to my attention. Today's addicted youth, Rahman al that cannot part from their cell phones their smartphones, their iPhones, their, their whatever you want to call them, <coughs> won't talk on the phone, it's Shabbos. But they found themselves a heter, they found themselves a loophole of some sort, which is non-existent, truthfully, to text or to WhatsApp or whatever it is, to stay on Facebook. How could you not update your status on Facebook? How will you have so many followers on Twitter? Can you not be up to date with your followers? There's so much going on in my social life. I can't possibly, 26 hours, deprive society of such a vast amount of knowledge. And therefore, I can't be without my cell phone. I need to have, I need to update everything. Leave it alone. It's Shabbos. Relax. Speak to your family. They have all the jokes that they put out, all the different things with cell phones. You see an entire family sitting down to dinner and nobody's talking because everybody's on their phones. Nobody even knows what's in front of them. They eat food without knowing what it is. And this is going back to what the Torah tells us clearly. We explained this many times. I tortured you and you starved. But I gave you to eat the mun. They didn't starve. They tasted the mun, tasted like anything they wanted it to taste like. And they had it gave them substance. They were able to sustain themselves over the mun. Why does it say such an expression in the Tata that the Almighty is telling us Because the mun, although it, you've, you've wanted it to taste like a ribsteak or apple pie or whatever it was, it tasted like that. But you didn't see it. And you also didn't feel it as you bit into it. You didn't chew on that chewy steak, on that chewy piece of chicken. You didn't feel it going down your throat. You didn't feel that hot piece of potato kugel or that good bowl of rice or whatever it might have been that you eat on Shabbos or during the week. You didn't feel that happening to you. But you were full when you ate. But you didn't see it. You didn't experience the eating experience. And so too is when the people sit around the table and they have their phones in their hands. And they, or they're actually, they have their head in their phone. And they're literally entrenched in it. Now they're coming up, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, they're coming up tremendously strict, strict laws of texting and driving. They made a machine that can detect if you're texting. 
they have a computer in a police cars, when you're coming towards them, it pictures, it takes a picture of the license plate, and it can tell you if you have insurance or not. I've gotten pulled over for that. It was a mistake, but I did get pulled over. Random. All of a sudden, I drive past, he pulls me over. He says, what are you pulling me over for? I didn't do anything. She tells me insurance. And now they have something that they'll be able to tell if you're texting on your phone. Which is, and it's a very, very stiff fine. I think after two or three text tickets, you lose your license. It's more severe than a red light. But you know what? Going through a red light usually doesn't kill half as many people as texting does. Texting and driving, Rahman al-Islam, physically, just kills people. Causes tremendous accidents, monetary damage, which is not going to be recouped because the insurance won't pay for it. The insurance finds out you were texting while you were driving. They won't pay for the accident that you caused. Actually, it's very interesting. I had Sunday, a fellow told me a very interesting story. He's talking of insurance. He came out to me and said, i got to tell you a story of Ashkach Pratis, Divine Providence. He has a leased car, at least minivan, a town and country. What else does a nice Jewish family have? And one morning he came out and someone hit his car. Back light was broken, fender was bent, whatever. How do you find out who did that? It's lost. Lost case, there's nobody here. So he was a little bit upset, but he said, listen, I have a $500 waiver. After the, when, I give back the, when I give back the car, they assess all the damage and it's $500 deductible. So, what should I do? I'm garnished. He accepted the, whatever it was, God sent him, and he went on about his life. Two, three days later, he gets a phone call. This is the insurance company. I won't say which one, because then people think I'm advertising. And also, I don't remember. I'm not sure which reason is better. Anyway, our uh, client hit your car. It was the middle of the night. His tire fell off, and he lost control of the car, obviously. He went into your car. He was devastated. Because it was definitely not your fault to park the car. He took your license plate. And he sent us your license plate. And we were able to track you down. That's nice. Please come into the one of our offices and we'll give you an appraisal. The adjuster, look at the car, I'll tell you how much it's worth, how much you have to pay the damage. Can you imagine the shock in this guy's head? Don't, um, don't let, you know, don't crack, don't do this at home. But sometimes you have to be careful with people, phone calls like that, because it could obviously be a scam. Which I don't know how he didn't think twice about it, but he said, okay. Ultimately, he came back, back and forth with emails. And he got an appointment for Friday, 3 o'clock. Logan, not too far from here. However, he was worried. So he texted me, emailed him back, Friday 3 o'clock, it's a little latish. Can I get a little earlier? So the guy texts back, I know you want to, emails back, I know you want to be home for Shabbat, but this is what, all I can give you. Okay. So he was talking to a friend, he mentioned to a friend, it's 3 o'clock Friday. The friend said, listen, you main thing, take your film along. Because you'll find somebody definitely there that has to put on film. 
he came there, and this guy, Taka, Robert, whatever his name was, totally not Jewish name, the adjuster, happened to be Jewish. He asked him, he said, how do you know about Shabbat? So he reaches into his shirt, and he takes out his mug and David, the star of David. I'm Jewish. He says, you're Jewish. Did you put on film? He says, no. He says, when's the last time you put on? He says, about six months ago with a customer right here. <laughs> so he says, okay, you're going to put on now again with a customer right here. I know, he puts him on film, and the guy comes out after the whole adjuster looks. He gives him a check for $1,268. $1,268. No. <sighs> the surprise. The joy. That's a gift. Wait, P.S., the story's not over. A week before, he received in the mail, this fellow received in the mail, a letter from the IRS. He owed them $1,288. With no idea how he's paying it. Had he told me about it, I would have had him call my friend in Atlanta, but he didn't. He didn't tell me that until that point. When he looked at the check, he said, look at this, Hashem. You sent me the money. Now the truth is, he ultimately has to pay for the fixing of the car also. But for right now, the main point, the main focus was he had paying the IRS, and that he, Baruch Hashem, received the money for it. Straight from God's hand. So Shabbos does that for us. We find over Shabbos many different beautiful, beautiful things besides the peace of mind and besides the family harmony and the rest and the relaxation of Shabbos. So why would somebody look to desecrate Shabbos? Why would somebody tax themselves with the social burdens you know, on Matzah Shabbos always, I remember as a kid yet, on Matzah Shabbos with David Meirev, and there was always Mr. Cigarette. <laughs> Mr. Cigarette in the shul. The little kids used to look for Mr. Candy, Candy Man in the shul. They used to give out candies in the shul on Shabbos to the children. And the adults waited Matzah Shabbos for Mr. Cigarette. And as soon as Shabbos was out, as soon as they finished Mayriv, boom, everybody lit up. It was, it was Pachajah to, to uh, the Kteris that went up. Like a cloud of smoke came out of the show. It couldn't hold... Another minute to make up the... Go home, make up the... No, no, they had to have their cigarette, the plotting at the end of Shabbos for the cigarette. And today also, people plot at the end of Shabbos, they need their phone to see what did the world not hear from them and what didn't they hear from the world? What could have possibly gone on with uh, Mr. Gorbachev or Mr. Brezhnev or whoever it might have been? What's happening in an election? What's happening in Israel? What's happening in, in, in the sports? Ah! I gotta know. I gotta have my phone. No. Shabbos. Is a yumptive in the fact that we don't do any work. It's also possible that the Tater just happens to mention Shabbos. To show us the difference between Shabbos and yumptive. Yumptive, you're allowed to do things for eating. Of course, something that didn't come out on Shabbos. Whereas Shabbos, you can't. It's Shabbos, Shabbos, and it's a total, total rest. You can't cook on Shabbos. You can cook on Yom Tif. And the Barbanel explains. When the Torah mentions Shabbos here, is to actually show us how much special how much more special Shabbos is than Yom Tif. But the fact that it mentions Yemashvi is Shabbos Shabbosin
during the Yom Tevim's mention, it mentions also about Shabbos. Why does it have to start off with the Shesh Hashem Teos Malacha? Six days a week work. Tell us, Shabbos and Farti. What does it talk again about the six days of work? Where is that relevant here, connected to the Yom Tevim? To the Mayade Hashem. In the other places where it mentions Shabbos, and it tells the Shesh Yom Tasa Malacha, Yosem Malacha, in Yisra, in Kisisa, in Yivayakil, Pasuk is coming to tell us that, yes, there's six days that you should work, but Shabbos is no such thing. We don't think about, we don't even think about money on Shabbos. Even more so. This is the reason for keeping Shabbos. To remember Hakadosh Baruch Hu, that all day, all week we worked, and we've spoken many times the difference between Zohar and Shomer is Shabbos. Sorry, you'll have to search that in the archives. Either in a past parshas Yisrael or a past parshas Vaschan. But in our parsha, the main thing is it's talking about Yom Tevim. The mention of Shabbos is just a mention. Should only mention Shabbos, seventh day, don't work. Why talk about the six days work? Rashi explains here why is that, what is Shabbos doing here between the Yom Tevim? Sheshis Yom says Rashi, my Shabbos is on Mayadays. What does Shabbos have to do with Yom Tevim? Shakola Machalvas, Hamayadays, Mailin Olav, Kilo, Kilo, Sashabosis. Anyone who desecrates the Yom Tevim? Is as if they desecrated Shabbos. Call him a kayim is Anyone who keeps holy the yom tevim by the of kiel kayim is a Shabbos. It's counted as if he's keeping all the Shabbos. Rashi's commentaries tell us the tremendous chiddush he's giving us here. To begin with. Rashi is separating the sanctity of Shabbos, which is totally, totally from heaven, from the six days of work. And these, and also this Shabbos from the holiness of the Yom Tevim, which come out according to the, according to the calendar. Bezdin established the calendar, and according to the calendar, we know which days of the month is Yom Tev and how the Yom Tevim get pushed off. How Pesach this year was a month later because of the two years, two months of other, etc. Therefore, since Yom Tev is movable, one would think that it's so much lighter, so much easier than Shabbos. Therefore, Rashi says, "No shkulim heim because they're equal, they're an equal par. How is that possible? That they're an equal par, and anyone that keeps Shabbos is like keeping, keeps Yom is like keeping Shabbos. Anyone that God forbid desecrates is like he desecrates Shabbos. Find tremendous differences between Shabbos and Yom Tov. A person that desecrates Shabbos, the of the Sun, is Chayyav Kara, Skila. Yomtev is only Malpus. We also know that Rashi is very, very careful what he says. Even the title that Rashi brings down, before he explains something, is also relevant. Here he's not bringing down a title. Shabbos, Shabbos Shabbosin, Mirmashvi Shabbos Shabbosin, but he brings the word Shesh The six days you should do work. And there is referenced Shabbos. It doesn't fit even to his explanation. Another thing we need to understand. In this parish it talks about only Shemir Shabbos. 
and Yom Tif as an obligation. It doesn't mention the flip side, if God forbid you don't keep it. So why does Rashi begin with Kolo Machalos is made is but the Pasuk here doesn't mention anything about the desecration of Shabbos and Yom Tif. It only talks about the beauty of Shabbos and Yom Tif, and thereby telling us whoever keeps the Shabbos is like the, whoever keeps the Yom Tif is like keeping Shabbos. Beautiful, that's fantastic. But it has nothing to do with the desecration of Shabbos. Discussing Yom Tevim, I wanted to tell this story. I have told already before as well. I know I told it before. There was a shliach, he is no longer with us, of Shapsi Katz in South Africa. Shapsi Katz was here once in New York, it was a few days before Hanukkah. And he went into Yechidus to the Rebbe, private audience to the Rebbe. Now, needless to say, private audience to the Rebbe was a very big deal, and I think I've spoken about this many times. It was a very big deal to be able to have a private audience to the Rebbe. It's much easier today. You go to the Ail, you can go to the 770, stand outside the Rebbe's room, stand with the Rebbe Davant, and you can stand and connect with the Rebbe. Here you went into Yechidus the Rebbe. Many things were discussed. Finally the Rebbe asked him, do you know anything about the prisons in South Africa? He said, Gavi, yes, I go to visit the prisons often. They're not... Uh, not so fantastic, they're not, their accommodations aren't so great, but they treat the Jews quite well, they let the Jews keep Shabbos, Yom Tov, whatever. So they have asked him, how about Hanukkah Licht? Do they allow the Jews to light the Menorah? He said, actually, I worked on it last year, it didn't work out. Now it's already too late for this year, but as soon as I get back after Hanukkah to, to South Africa, I'm going to put full time into getting permission for next year Hanukkah. So the Rebbe looked at him and said, what about this year? They're not going to light this year? So the Rebbe he says, it's three days, four days before Hanukkah. He says, listen, when you finish with me, I want you to go into my secretary's office. Um, ask them, tell them I said you should use the phone. I want you to call whoever's in charge of the prisons and tell them that I asked that he lets them light, light the Veneta. He says, it's four o'clock in the morning in South Africa. He says, so? It's a very important thing. Maybe I can wait till it's no, no, right now. So he walked out of the office, out of the Rebbe's office, he went into the secretariat, and he told them the story, they said, okay, they picked up the phone, he called his secretary in, New York, in South Africa, woke her up, got the number for the general, for the guy in charge of the prisons, who used to be a general, actually, in the army. And... Um, he asked his secretary, call, her, call him first, you wake him up. <laughs> Tell him I'm calling from New York in a minute. I said, fine. Kitsa, he calls her, he calls the general, he calls this person, and the guy's awake already. And he says, yes, Rabbi, what can I do for you? Must be quite urgent you're calling at this hour. He says, actually, it is very urgent. I'm here in Brooklyn, New York, and by the Lubavitch Rebbe. The Rebbe asks, I call you now and tell you that the Jews in prison, Hanukkah is coming, and the Jews in prison need to light the Menorah. He says, okay, I will send out in the morning a memo to all the prisons in South Africa that all the Jewish prisoners should be allowed to light the Menorah. 
the guy was ready to fall off the chair. Oh, okay. Not bad enough, 4 o'clock in the morning, you didn't hang up, slam the phone down on me and tell me where to go. He just agreed. All right, lovely. Thank you. Anyway, the next morning, Rabbi Katz said, okay, I'm going to wait when the Rebbe comes to shul. When the Rebbe gets to shul, I will tell the Rebbe the results of my conversation. And lo and behold, he stood there and he was all proud of himself. Figured the Rebbe give him a pat on the back. And he told the Rebbe what happened. As the Rebbe walked in, and the Rebbe told him, after Shach has come to my room. Figured maybe the Rebbe wants to thank him, whatever. After Shachas, he goes to the Rebbe's room. And the Rebbe says to him, Hanukkah is coming. I don't believe any of the prisons in New York allow the Jewish prisoners to light the Mineta. I want you to get to work now and get them permission. So, but the Rebbe, I don't know anybody here. And it says, go to Rabbi Yaakov Yudahecht. No relation, I think. And tell him to help you. He knows a lot of people. And he'll explain that in South Africa, they agreed so readily, how much more so in New York. He went to Rabbi Yaakov Yudahecht, and they spent several hours racking their brains, because it was a holiday of some sort. And finally... Rabbi Hecht calls the commissioner. And the commissioner answers the phone. How are you? How's everything? How's the children? The wife? Wonderful. Beautiful. Thank you. How's everything? By you, Rabbi? Everything's well. He said, have you a Rabbi? You're Rabbi Katz from South Africa. He wants to talk to you. It's okay. Put him on. And the commissioner was in a good jovial mood anyway, even though it was a day off. And he tells the commissioner... I'm here from South Africa. I was last night by the Rebbe in Yechidus. And the Rebbe told me to make sure that South African Jews in prison light Menorah this year. So I made a phone call to the head of the prisons in South Africa. I woke him up at 4 o'clock in the morning. And he readily agreed to send out a memo, and he's already sent it out. Make sure all Jewish prisoners throughout South Africa should light Menorah. I'd like to do the same in New York. I'd like the same to happen in New York, that all the New York prisoners, all the Jewish prisoners in the prisons in New York should light them there. Commissioner says, you know what? If South Africa said, how can I not say it? Of course, go ahead. Truth is, tomorrow I have a day off. I'm not going to use it. I'll go to the office. I'll make sure, let it be known. Everybody has light manera. That was it. It worked. He came back Minuchah time, 770. He waited for the Rebbe to go out of his office to go to Minuchah to notify the Rebbe that New York is down with it. New York is going to be lighting also. No. The Rebbe said, come to my office after Minuchah. Kid said he gets into the Rebbe's office after Mincha. The Rebbe said, I'd like to thank you. I'd like to give you something as a gift for your efforts. He said, No, Chasham, Rebbe. I wouldn't take a gift. But if the Rebbe wants to give me something, I have a son that's turning by Mitzvah. would be very honored. 
If the Rebbe would give me a Tanya for my son. So the Rebbe said, you know what? I'm going to Americas. I'm going to Mascutus, um, Secretariat. And they'll have you. He went into the Secretariat and they had four things. They had an English Tanya for the Bar boy. They had a Tanya for him, for Rabbi Katz. They had a book called The Challenge. The Rebbe is sending a gift to the uh, head of the prisons. And they had another book, Eishas Chayil, um, for the wife of the head of the prisons, because she got woken up also. And he couldn't believe this, but this is a, the Rebbe had it prepared already. Anyway, he came back to South Africa and he called up this commissioner and the commissioner of the prisons he tells him, listen, I just got here, I just arrived I have a gift for you from the Rebbe Um, I'll bring it to you tomorrow I'll bring it to you tomorrow. So he said, um, No. I'll be by your house in a few minutes. <laughs> and this commissioner all of a sudden shows up by the door. Rabbi Katz, and he's here to take the gift. He's here to take the gift. <laughs> he says, are you kidding me, Rabbi? A rabbi sitting in Brooklyn, New York is worried about the prisoners, the Jewish prisoners in South Africa so that at 4 o'clock in the morning in South Africa he wants to be called to be woken up to make sure they like the menorahs. A person like that sends me a gift and I'm going to wait another minute? I want to have that gift in my hand as soon as I can. So he came. He's not, not Jewish. Like that. He came running to get the gift. Anyway, let's get back to the Shaila Sanrashi over here in the Pasuk. The explanation, let us explain the reason the Rashi used, takes the words Sheshes Yom and puts it as a title of the Rashi is because the foundation of the, the words of Rashi here are talking about the word Sheshisham. What does Ashi come to explain here? Not what the Pesach is telling us that it's Yem HaShvi, Yishu Shabbos Shabbosin. That we understand. We know that already. The fact that the Meyadim mentioned here also Shabbos, like the commentaries explain, But what is Shaykh, what is the connection Rashi has with the Sheikh Shem Teyasa Melacha? Rashi brings down the words of our sages. Ma inyan Shabbos Eitzel Hameyadis. What is Shabbos doing in the middle of the Yom Tevim? And the Lamdachot, the teacher called Machalal, is Hameyadis, Mailan of Gilu, Chilas, and Shabboses. Anyone who desecrates the Yom Tev is like desecrating all the Shabboses. Which this is Sheishis Yavim. The Sheishis Yavim is not teaching us, not letting us hear only the six days itself separate. It also has this one concept, this concept of this one set of time. The six day period. It's not six separate entities, it's one entity, the six days. As Rashi explains, whenever it says Shivas, the seventh, it's a noun. It's a seven-day week. It's a cycle, which is one entity of seven days. Same thing when it says eight. 
So it says Sheshis, etc. So now the Postic said Sheshis Yom It's coming to stress the, the establishment of the time, especially of this six day period, the weekdays. Only in those days does one have permission to work. Actually, one should work. And automatically, all the other times, except for this time, are prohibited of work. This is therefore the comparison of Chil Shabbos and Chil Yom Tif. Even though the punishment is different, Shabbos and Yom Tif, Shabbos is much stringent, more stringent than that of Yom Tif. They're not in the generalization of the Sheish Yom, of the permissible days of work. And therefore, one that does any kind of work on Yom Tif that's not allowed, he's doing something that's not in the realm of the six days. And therefore, again, it's desecration of Shabbos, desecration of Yom Tif. So that's why Rashi brings down about the desecration, although the Tate is talking about the sanctification of the holiday. Because tell us that this is something outside of the six-day box. But after this, Rashi continues. From the fact that when you say love, we say no, we hear the yes. What is the yes? The yes is if you keep the Yom Tif, it's as if you're keeping Shabbos. I want to also mention, I didn't say anything about dates, Taka. In the world of dates today, we are in the midst of Bahab, the Monday, Thursday, and Monday fast after Yom Tif. It did not start on the Monday after Yom Tif because the Monday directly after Yom Tif was on Rish and since you can't fast on Rishchidosh, therefore, they only started it now. This past Monday, tomorrow is the Thursday of the Bahab, and the next Monday, the following Monday, Amir Hashem. A reminder again, the next next week's year is worth tuning in on Skype, since we're giving it at like 2 o'clock in the morning, Geneva time. It'll be 9 o'clock, the regular time, the regular year. Amir Hashem, Abba I want to go one more thing in the parsha before I do any prikiyavus of the Gemara. Pasuk says v'cholzal leyechol kedesh. We're talking about the different things that were brought to the kohen to eat: trumas, meisres, tithing. A non-kohen cannot eat these holy things. Then the Torah continues and says, v'chayin ki yikna nefesh, kinyan kaspei. If the Kayan acquires a slave, a servant, who He can eat these things. He can eat this trumas and maizas. How random. What became of this Jewish slave who was a regular simple Israelite yesterday? But today, because he had to be bought by this Kayan as a slave, and now is the property of the Kayan, he may now partake from this food. He did not become a Kayan. But we will see this in our daily life. In our daily life, we know, one may not partake of any morsel of food without making a blessing prior. Very interesting this week on Mifzayim, this past Friday, one of my fellows asked me, very sincere fellow, he says, please bring me, he speaks, he reads only Russian apparently, bring me a transliterated list of all the brachas that I need to make. I know I, mean, I make a shahakal, you know, huh. and I know I make, I think he knows how to make a, a maitzi. Doesn't know how to make kiddush, he wants to be able to make kiddush, give me something transliterated of each and every one of these things, so that I can do it. And yes, Baruch Hashem, I bought it, it's in my car, so I shouldn't forget it on Friday to bring it to him. 
So we make a bracha for everything that we eat. Anything we eat or drink, we need to make a bracha first. Wine is, is a geffen. Water is shahakal. Tea, coffee is shahakal. Not going to go through the whole birchas now. But each food has to have a bracha. Even when we smell something nice, we have to make a bracha. What happened? I'm making a bracha because it's God's. In order for me to partake of something that's God, I have to ask permission, and then I make a bracha. But what actually transpired here? It, did it become mine? Is it no longer God's chas But rather, someone who chas eats or drinks something without a bracha, it's like using taking something from the temple, Hegdish, that was dedicated to the temple and using it for mundane things. If you're keeping score at home, Sechtes Brachas, Lamed Hei Yamed Aleph, 35 side 1. So then what does the Bracha do? Why does it make things permissible for us? And does, is the God giving us now rightful ownership of this? fact is, the bracha does not change any ownership. We recite the bracha. It changes the status of the individual making the bracha. In the person's changed status, he can now partake of something that belongs to God. For example here, a non-Kayan cannot eat truma. However, if a man is purchased by a Kayan and becomes a Kayan's servant, although he's an Israelite in his own right, he may now eat it. Same thing with any karbonis, meats, or for limits to anybody else, but a Kayan's servant can eat them. If you keep your score at home, it's Pesach Nizvachim, Nun Hei Amr Aleph. 55, side A. The same thing is the significance of a bracha, of reciting a bracha. The text in the actual bracha affirms our acceptance of God. We say, Our Lord, the King of the universe. So the bracha therefore declares God's mastery the entire universe. Including me. Including me, the bracha maker. I am also part of, belong to God. And therefore, I can partake of the food. Because just like the Kayan, who is the owner of this Jew, can now give him to eat something that belongs only to him, so too, I may now partake of something that belongs to God, because I became one with God by acknowledging God's greatness. Ooh, it's late. Perek 3. Perek Gimel, Mishnah, Yud Gimel. Shleisha, say, 13. Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva says, Laughter, frivolity, accustoms a man to lewdness. Masedes Yaglatera, the Mercedes, the oral tradition of the Teda, is a fence around the Teda. Maesis Yaglaisher, Maesis tithing are a fence for riches. Nedorim Siogla Prishus, vows are a fence for abstinence. And Siog La Chokma Shtika. And the main fence that we need, that all of us need, is the fence for wisdom, which is silence. Why Rabbi Akiva being quoted here? Why does he say in his name? Rabbi Akiva was from a family of converts. And he himself did not begin to study Torah until the age of 40. Our sages explained that a convert has a tendency sometimes to revert. Similarly, a person that gets overexposed to the world, the outlooks, 
for many years is inclined to be materially oriented. Therefore, Rabbi Akiva, who knows the importance of this, of adopting fences, safeguards that protect a person from overindulgence to worldly matters, comes up with this mission, and therefore he is quoted, because the fact that it's Rabbi Akiva saying it is in itself a lesson. Okay, we're going to want to talk about what he says in the Mishnah, but we're going to turn our focus a little bit in the second. Saita. We won't go all the way to the Chazayin. Talking about Meseda. Mishnah was talking about Meseda here. What happens with the Meseda that we are given over from generation to generation? And now this becomes a siyag for us. Rabbi Yishmael, the Yamada Tazayin Amaralif. Rabbi Yishmael, Imam Bishleshas Amidis. This is a Mishnah that we say, a Perik that we say, Mishnahs every morning before davening, before Haydu. Rabbi Shmuel learned out, he derived things from Torah with 13 different ways. One of them is Kalvachem, exactly. Rabbi Shmuel also comes and tells us there are three things, says the Gemara, that although the Pasuk quotes it, the dictum of the Torah quotes it as one thing, the Meseda, Kabbalah's Meshem Mesinai, we receive from Meshem and Sinai, Halakhal Meshem Sinai, will dictate differently. One is the Efer. The offer, right. It says that blood needs to be covered with offer. So although the Pasuk says the offer, with Dafka has to be covered with earth, it's Allah that it can be covered with anything. Another thing is when it talks about the Nazir having to be shaved, the Taylor says Bisar needs to be done with a razor, with anything. And the third thing he says is a get, where it says, Sefer Krisus, Sefer refers to, it must be written on parchment, and he says, it can be written on anything. The Buddha then wants to go on to ask about different halachas that perhaps also fall under this category, Mitzayra, Seita, etc. That the Tera says one thing, and perhaps we can say that this halacha lamesh of Sinai differently, but ultimately this is not accepted, Sigizunt. And therefore, we do according to what Tera says always, but it is extremely important that we go according to Meseda. Things that our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents have given over generation after generation. Because let's call a spade a spade. Let's call, get face a fact. Our goal in life, when we do a mitzvah, when we learn Teda, is for Chayyelam Abo. It's for life in the world to come. Our true, true goal Mashiach should come. When Mashiach comes, we'll live a life of Elam Haba. Newsflash that life, Elam Haba, that we're going to be living, will be with our ancestors. 
And they'll say, Atas Meisha, Atas Zayda, Atas Dayra, Atas Yerim. Here is this one, here is that one. And the grandparents, great-grandparents, ancestors will recognize their next generations, and the generations will recognize their grandparents. So we are looking for, and we are aspiring for, Yemes HaMashiach, for Yitzchiz HaMesim, for the Gula Mitzvah Vashlema. And therefore, do you want to stand in front of your Baba and Zayda and say, Sorry, Baba and Zayda. I know you said this is how the family has a custom. I did differently. No, you don't want to do that. And therefore, Mesayda is a very, very important way to live. And we should be Zaycha. This Shabbos, the Rebbe should take us out of Golis. We should be in Yerushalayim, in Akedish. And tonight yet, and we should meet with all our ancestors, and our ancestors should be proud of us. We should be proud of them. Shabbat Shalom to all.